ESPN. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Josh Hennig filling in for Mike Gill here on a Tuesday on 97.3 ESPN, along with Hunter Brody. We are here till 4.30 this afternoon as the Sixers take on the hottest team in the NBA bubble today at 4.30, Devin Booker and the Phoenix Suns. Because it's only appropriate the team called the Suns be the hottest team in the NBA bubble right now, right Hunter? Absolutely. And this game's a little weird though, because if you think about it, you don't really know what's going to be on the court for the Sixers. And how much value can you put into this game if a lot of these top dogs aren't going to be competing? It's definitely going to be interesting to see what this Sixers team looks like, considering they were still competitive with the Blazers, despite MB and Simmons being out, and despite Lillard going 51. So what happens when you know exactly what you're walking in with, and you know for sure you're shorthanded, at least for an entire game, and we don't even know how much Richardson, Horford, and Harris are even going to play. Exactly. Exactly. That's the thing. And and it's not just the Sixers. It would be different if it's just the Sixers doing this, but I think you're naturally starting to see teams realize, okay, this is where we are in the seating, and now let's not put ourselves in a bad position when it comes to injuries, so let's just throw some guys out there. But when you look at these bench players, are they going to be fighting for an opportunity down the road in playoff minutes? That's a good question as well. So we got Sixers talking about today, leading up to 4.30 Sixers basketball. We got a busy show Tuesday with Thompson at 4.30 today. The PT bumped up to talk a little hockey with us, Hunter. I know, yeah. He's definitely juiced up about it. He's he's juiced up about a lot of things. I saw him going about the golf all weekend, so we'll get his thoughts on the PGA. But there's no doubt the Flyers – it's making PT a very happy man, and that makes me a very happy man. Well, I think we've talked more hockey between you, me, and Gil on air over the last few days than we pro- probably have in recent weeks, not because we don't like the Flyers, but because they have ascended to become the number one team in the city in terms of a team that is in position to be a contender. Absolutely. And look, when they play that well, and when they are playing this confident, and the crazy part to me is listening to NHL Network at night before I go to bed or listening to some national hockey media, and the way they talk about the Flyers, I've never heard it in my life be to this extreme. The way that they praise what they're doing, talking about how Look, they don't have many flaws. Hearing it being the flyers that are coming out of their mouths in those type of sentences, it doesn't feel like real life, Josh. Oh, you mean like what Scott Laughlin said yesterday on Game Night with me, Sirius XM NHL Radio. There are questions for all of these teams right now. I think the Flyers have fewer questions than any of the teams we've talked about here, and that's why I think Flyers fans should be excited about this club. Does that tickle your fancy? Oh, it definitely tickles my fancy, but I think that it's tickling everyone's fancy now. It's more than just, you know, the hockey guy like you or the, you know, the sports geek like me. It's now, you know, in, you know, in infiltrating everybody else's mind as well. I think the best way to describe it is exactly how I mentioned it yesterday with Mike Gill. In that 2017 Eagles run, during that run, there was a moment where it switched from this team is good to this team can actually compete for a Super Bowl. 
This Philadelphia Flyers team can actually compete for a Stanley Cup. The switch, it's been flipped, and they actually have a chance to compete. They can hang with anyone involved in the Stanley Cup playoffs right now. Absolutely. So we'll talk some hockey with the PT. Phillies mailbag, Frank close every Tuesday at 3 o'clock as the Phillies scored a ton of runs yesterday. They hit a lot. I think it was, what, five home runs altogether. Uh, but then, you know, the bullpen brought them back down to reality. It's incredible that Aaron Nola could put on the performance that he put on. Ten strikeouts. It was awesome. Eight innings. You can see a Phillies offense wake up. A DD Grand Slam, a JT Bomb, Bryce Harper's home run to start this team off to, to score some runs. And the takeaway of the game is the atrocious bullpen. That's hard to do. It's hard to do, but it's so on par. It's so on brand for 2020, is it not? It is. Of course it is. Nick Pavetta, dude, that was so bad. Are you kidding me? And and I'll say this. I know that there was a debate last night about Joe Girardi pulling Aaron Nola with 89 pitches in the eighth inning. After the eighth inning, he did not allow him to go into the ninth. That was the right move. I don't know how you feel about it, but that was the right move. You're up 13-1. to Your number one guy gave you eight innings, 89 pitches. They couldn't do a thing. It's 13 to 1. There's no reason to put him out there. I don't care about the accolade of a complete game. Joe Girardi made the right move in that situation. You sh- you shouldn't even be in the situation with blowing the game in the ninth. That's the bullpen's fault. But pulling him in that game made so much sense to me. Look, last night I can't blame Girardi. The lineup was on fire. Nola, he kept him out there the right amount of time. At some point I kind of have to agree with Barkan said on the post game last night. You mentioned this to me, and I, you know, I, I thought about it as well. Is that at some point these pitchers got to do their job, right? You, you got a major league baseball uniform. You're getting paid all this money. Go out there and get the job done. Like I don't think it's asking too much to not blow a, a, a double digit lead and not give up more than a run or two. It got to the point where Hector Neris warmed up. Yep, he warmed up. That can't happen. And I thought that Nick Pavetta would be, by default, a decent option in the bullpen because Austin Davis doesn't work. Guerra doesn't work. These players don't work. So by default, I thought, okay, Nick Pavetta should be able to be effective in the bullpen to an extent. And he got destroyed. I mean, you can't even write a worse situation to happen for someone like Nick Pavetta than what happened last night. Text board is open, 609-403-0973, playsugarhouse.com. Text board, Josh Hennig filling in for Mike Gill on a Tuesday. He'll be back in tomorrow. Honey Brody, Hunter Brody with me as well here on 97.3 ESPN. So we've got more Phillies talk coming up at 3 o'clock with Frank Close. And then football at 4, Andrew Dicecko back from his vacation. Football at 4, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. And for those who didn't see it, uh, Lane Johnson... He's been cleared. He's been cleared of any COVID, anything, and he's good to go on her. Yeah, that, that's great. He he posted up a picture as well, and I was thinking, huh, if I was lined up on the other side of this guy, I could probably beat him. What do you think? Nah. What do you mean, no? You, you, have, a be- I- you, you have a better chance at beating D-Ray one-on-one at uh, you know first to 11 win by two than you do of getting around Lane Johnson. Now, are you praising my basketball game, or are you hurting my – football game are you are you are you knocking my football ability i'm knocking your football ability so do you think that i could actually beat d-ray no 
Oh, come on. You're ridiculous. But, That's but not the I, only thing happening, though. You got you got Miles Sanders making the Eagles fans a little uncomfortable, <laughs> tweeting that he can't catch a break. And then in the replies, all the Eagles fans are going, oh, no, what's happening? He had to actually respond to himself and say, keep calm, y'all. I'm ready for the season. Yeah. It's, it's so funny. First of all, it's his own fault, okay? Let's be realistic. Twitter today is treated completely the wrong way. All right? A lot of the people who are on Twitter, they put out these cryptic subtweets that you got to like, you know, have like a decoder ring to figure out what they're talking about. Like, why can't you just come out and say what you're talking about? Why does it have to be just three words and one of them is a conjunction, right? Like, why can't you just say, I can't catch a break because this happened to me today and give us a little story to humanize yourself. Instead, you got to reply to yourself 14 minutes later to clarify that everything's okay. Yeah, the thing that is a little confusing to me is what did he expect to happen? What did he expect the reaction what? to what, be? What do you think's going to happen if you put out that kind of tweet? Do you think you're just – it's not like you're sending a text to your buddy, yo, man, I can't catch a break. What happened, bro? No, you're putting it on Twitter where you have, let's see how I many, he has 75,000 followers. That's a lot Sometimes of people. I think, oh, no doubt. Sometimes I think that these athletes lose a bet or they're playing poker, and if whoever loses has to post something to just get everybody all fired up on social media. I honestly do believe that happens sometimes. It's still dumb. I don't oh, care I'm what the you. excuse is. I'm with you. It's definitely dumb. So we'll get we'll get into some Eagles coming up with Andrew Checo. Also, uh, Andrew is very heavy on the draft, the college football scene. It comes in terms of you know evaluating for the draft, and with all this news about the college football season, I want to know from Andrew what he thinks the impact could be if there's no college football this fall. What does that mean for the 2020 NFL draft? Because let's be realistic, Hunter. The majority of scouting for the draft comes from the players playing in. What is it? Oh, yeah, games. I wonder, though, will the NFL look at this as more of an opportunity if college football doesn't be played because now they have Saturdays open? Like, initially, you think, okay, if college football doesn't work, that's telling the NFL, hey, this might not be a great idea because, look, college football can't even make it. But the way that they probably look at it from a business decision is, okay, hold on a second. We now have a full extra day to be able to schedule games. Well, Adam Schefter said it himself that he thinks there's a possibility that there's no college football. The NFL could be on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday because they would switch around some of the schedules to accommodate some of the networks that have some openings in their network schedules. I think that makes a ton of sense, don't you? It makes a ton of sense, but also think about what that means for college football. You're basically telling college football – because you can't get yourself situated, and the NFL can, that you're an afterthought. Well, I think it's a little unfair to say you can't get yourself together if you're college football, because I do think it's two different scenarios when you're focusing on a, a league that doesn't have its own union, your college students, your student athletes. So I think it's way harder to actually get college football back together due to the different rules and regulations compared to pro sports. 
yes, I, I agree that it's harder. But as I was saying last night on game night here on 97.3 ESPN, 6-7 to seven after the sports bash usually, except for a day like today when the Sixers are on at 4.30, I was saying that the problem with college football, like all of these amateur quote-unquote sports, is that there's no leadership. It's just a bunch of people scrambling around. The, each university could do what they want. The conferences could do what they want. You know, there, there's a there's still a possibility that the Big 12 plays, but then the Mountain West doesn't play. I mean, think about how ridiculous and chaotic that is for some of the athletes. They're, at the end of the day, college football doesn't care about the athletes. They care about the money. And that's the only reason why they're considering doing half of what they're doing. And because there's no leadership, there's no continuity and consistency. I mean, baseball... They have a, they have a commissioner, and there's still inconsistency when it comes to the testing. Imagine if every school has a different set of rules. The inconsistencies go from one or two variables to multiply that by a thousand. Well, whose fault is it that there's no leader in college sports? With with the NCAA, we all know it's a very, very flawed system with the money they generate and all that. But when you have these Power Five conferences that have their own commissioner for the conference, I mean, whose fault is it that there's not one leader? It, it would go down on the NCAA itself, no? It's two entities. First of all, yes, it is the NCAA because – for those who don't know, the NCAA, the, the body that governs collegiate sports, was originally founded because in the early 1900s, there were people who were actually getting seriously injured and died on football fields during games. So the president of the United States, Teddy Roosevelt, brought in the presidents of some of the major universities and said, you got to fix this. You can't have students dying on the field because you don't have any regulations and any stipulations and any universal rules. So the NCAA was founded almost a 100 years ago for the specific purpose of protecting the athletes. So, yes, part of it does fall on the NCAA. But as I mentioned, who did the president talk to almost a hundred over 100 years ago? The university presidents. It's also their fault as well because none of these guys can get along, Hunter. Well, it's unfortunate because I don't think that they're going to be able to find a way to properly execute this thing. I asked Mike Gill this yesterday, and I want to get your opinion on it. Is it possible? Because one of the big reasons it's going to be difficult is if there's no students on campus, how can you continue a football season? Is it possible that they say the normal, regular students who don't play sports have to do everything online, but if you're a student athlete, you can go on campus so you can play in sports? If there was a way that there could be an agreement across the board for that, I'm okay with it. But the problem is is that if you go back and see what Jim Harbaugh put out there on Twitter, he put out how Michigan is doing all these different things to keep the students safe and they're testing them and all this stuff. But the problem is, Hunter, that the Michigan set of rules and restrictions and protocols are not the same as, let's say, Michigan State in their own state. So you can't guarantee unless somebody's going to come down and say, we're all going to agree to do the same thing. It's There's too many variables to ensure that bringing the students on campus is going to really matter that much. That's very true. I just think this whole situation is so sticky with college football 
because when you look at all these other sports, the reason why they're getting things done, they have a union to support them. They can fight for the proper testing. They can make sure that they get whatever makes them feel comfortable to go out there and compete. And with college football, it's just so wide open with all these universities that it's going to be super tough to do it. And I just don't feel confident with college sports being able to return this season. Well, wasn't there also a discussion about maybe moving them to the spring? But I think that did die down a bit. So the part of the reason why it's died down is because, and I heard two different people mention this, and they're from two totally different parts of the sports world. So I thought it was interesting that, you know, you have one person who covers college football and one person who doesn't college cover, cover college football specifically say this, and that is they both said that the problem with moving the spring is that, first of all, how does that affect eligibility? Now you're overlapping when eligibility begins and ends for the football players. You're much better off just saying nobody loses a year of eligibility. You're all good to come back next year. Second problem is how does that affect the winter and the spring sports? What if everything by, and I'm just throwing out a scenario, what if we have a vaccine? What if we have a treatment all set in place by, let's say, November or December? And then all the other sports can go on as previously scheduled for the winter and spring sports. And then you want to you want to shove football into the spring as well. It, it gets to be a, a problem for the schools and the in the and the uh, what is it called the the infrastructure of the universities when it comes to these sports. Yeah, that's a great point. It definitely gets messy when things start to maybe get back on track. Then how do you flip flop it from let's say the year that you do play fall again? Think about that quick turnaround from a whole spring football season back to get it to fall, you know? I mean, it is definitely something that isn't going to be easy to figure out, and I think that there's so many holes. But here's one thing that leaves me a little optimistic. There was a chance that, or let's say, there was a time when we thought baseball had no chance. And then within three days, it was, wow, okay, maybe they can do this. Can that happen with college football? And the reason why I feel optimistic about it is uh, are they going to do whatever they possibly can to get the product on the field? There are towns where college football to them, SEC town, let's say, all these SEC teams, college football to them is how we feel about the Eagles, how we feel about the NFL. And they have a mindset of we got to do whatever it takes to get a product out on the field. So maybe that's where my optimism lies. But at the end of the day, I still think it's going to be difficult. But just because of the money involved, TV deals, you would think that they have to find a way, no? I think your hope is not just the towns. It's also the players and the coaches. And the fact that there is a there is a groundswell because of the We Want to Play movement online, guys like Trevor Lawrence, for example, the one of the biggest names in college football, is one of the faces of these guys saying they want to play. And listen, I'm not fully buying into the idea that you know players are going to do whatever it takes to play because you can't guarantee that every single one of all 90 players are going to feel the same way every single day of the week. You know, there's there's no monolith when it comes to society and humans. But what I do think that there is a light that a lot of these coaches and a lot of these players are willing to do. They claim they're willing to do what it takes to play. I think that's where the light is. I think the communities themselves have shown themselves to be completely inconsistent. Look what's going on in Mississippi. The governor 
you know, reinstituted some of the original COVID-19 protocols because he said that if we want to have college football, we need to get our you-know-what together. I hope, they, I hope they find a way, Josh. I really do because, you know, there's nothing better than that itch for football. And we know college football gets on the TV before NFL. And you see that first week of college football and it just smells like fall and it feels like football. And you don't really have that right now. And maybe it's because our minds are in other areas. The Phillies bullpen, the 76ers, what the hell is going on there? Basketball playoffs, the Flyers, things like that. Maybe we're so sidetracked because during this time, we normally, in a normal year where there's not COVID-19, we're just having baseball. So maybe we're so occupied in other areas where, you know, because it's not in front of us with real games, we can't get too heavily invested into it. But Let's hope they figure it out because a season without college football, it wouldn't feel right. Those Saturdays just would not feel right. He's Hunter Brody. I'm Josh Hennig filling in for Mike Gill here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Coming up 10 minutes from now, Tuesday with Thompson, the PT, joins the show to talk some Flyers hockey and more right here on 97.3 ESPN. Hunter, let's hit up the PlaySugarHouse.com text board right now. 609-403-0973. We got a tech, couple texts about the Flyers here for you, Hunter. Uh, one texture just simply says, heck yeah, let's go Flyers. I think that's the best text we've ever gotten. <laughs> He's not wrong. You know what I mean? There's Flyers. The fact that they play tomorrow, a playoff game tomorrow, and we get some NHL action throughout the day today. Yesterday, no hockey after having hockey from noon to essentially midnight every day during those qualifying rounds. Yesterday, no hockey at all except for that draft lottery where the New York Rangers gets the number one overall pick. Now you have full hockey again starting at three. I'm juiced up. How do you feel about that? The you know the uh, Rangers getting the first overall pick. It's not ideal, but. It's not the Penguins. And this kid definitely has juice surrounding his name. But there's so many different levels of superstar. If you're a Sydney, if he turns out to be a Crosby or a McDavid, which they do mention that he has that type of ability, yeah, I think it stinks. I mean, they sign Panarin. They get a player like this who could possibly be as good as that as a Flyers fan. Yeah, it stinks because the Rangers, their turnaround happens so quickly. They have good goaltending now after Lundqvist seems to no longer be the answer. But I think with the Flyers and where they're at, let's not focus on other teams. Let's focus on how good the Flyers are right now. Let's not just get too upset that a rival like the Rangers got him. Let's appreciate what's here right now because with or without him, I still think the Flyers are built for success in this future more so than them at the moment. PlaySugarHouse.com, text board 609-403-0973. Texter says, guys, when I heard Elaine Vigneault speak, Perfect, fluid French in a post-game interview. I was convinced we're winning the cup. Oh, that's what got him that. That's what not got seeing, him. Not seeing Carter Hart make these stellar saves or some nice crisp defense in the D zone. It's all about that French, huh? For that guy, apparently. Hey, whatever floats your boat. I, I'm not. I'm not going to argue with the with the uh, perspective. I just thought it was interesting that that's what that's what got him. Right. I, I, I can't speak a single word of French, so I, I would be very well I would be very ill equipped for that environment, honestly. Well, we had on this isn't French, but it just goes and relates to the whole hockey conversation hearing hockey people speak when we had Scott Lawton on yesterday. Just the hearing the hockey accent, you know, the Canadian accent, it gives me goosebumps. It's like, yeah, here we go, baby, here we go flyers, you know? 
By the way, if you missed uh, Hunter and Mike Gill's conversation with Scott Lawton, you can go check it out on the 97.3 ESPN YouTube channel. Absolutely. Also, the Sports Bash podcast, where you can get that over at 97.3 ESPN.com. Also on, uh, what is it, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. Am I missing any here? Yeah, those are the those are the basic ones that most people use, but they're on majority of all podcasting platforms out there. 609-403-0973, theplaysugarhouse.com, text board. We got Dan from EHC chiming in and says, this could be a great way to have players actually go from high school to the pros. A good time for the XFL to be a development league. You know, The Rock, just he was part of the ownership group that bought out the XFL. What if the XFL becomes to fill in the void for all of these guys who can't play college football? Wow, that would be really interesting. Then I wonder what the snowball effect would be. Would guys see that, hey, this league is actually better than college football? We get paid. I don't know. I mean, that does seem like a little bit of a stretch, but if it has so much success and it works and you get paid to do it, how could you argue that there's not a little bit of intrigue there when it comes to maybe that being something that works down the road? If the XFL was willing to be the G League, what the G League is to the NBA, to the NFL, it's a possibility. The problem is, is that where football is so different than other sports is that the physical development of young men exponentially happens from 18 to 22. An 18-year-old physically is very rarely in the same physical condition as a 22-year-old. Even LeBron James, when he first came to the NBA, he was another level physically four years later. Oh, no doubt. And another thing that doesn't really work is, you know, you mentioned the G League, and the difference with with football compared to basketball or any other sport, really, you don't have a system where, hey, you're on the Eagles, like, triple-A team, for example, or their minor league team. And if you do, would you want to have a running back playing in this G League, if you will, and getting all these miles on them and working the football? You don't want that. You want these guys as fresh as possible. So it almost doesn't work if you have a system in a G League. Yeah, and that's where the college football system does work because it does bring these young men along to what they can handle like the coach the primary job of a college football coach is to win football games right so he's not going to go and put the guy out there just because he's putting out the guys who are most prepared to be out there he's not going to put out a guy who could maybe put him in himself in a position to get hurt right exactly yeah no doubt about it it would be interesting though to see how this xfl thing works it could be because they've tried this so many times right they've tried the spring football league and it hasn't really worked and you could argue that maybe it would have if COVID-19 was not in play this last season with the XFL, maybe it would have worked. But this could be its its big break, if you will. Spring football's big break could be, hey, there's no college football. Let's take advantage of this opportunity. And who knows, if they knock it out of the park, that could be the difference in this being a long-term option. I'm sure this is a conversation we'll be having for months at this point because of the way the world is. He's Hunter Brody. I'm Josh Hennig filling for Mike Gill. Here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN, being brought to you by East Coast Roofing, Siding, and Windows, serving all of South Jersey. If you call, they'll show up. Visit them online at eastcoastroofing.com. Coming up next, it's a Tuesday with Thompson. We got to talk hockey, golf, and more with the PT right here on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Sea Isle City. 
offseason. By no means are we a finished product. What offseason? It's football at four every day at Welcome back into the Sports Pass. Josh Hennig filling in for Mike Gill on a Tuesday. And as a Tuesday, you know it's time to talk with the PT. Pete Thompson joins us a little bit earlier than usual, but we still want to get PT in because, you know, the Flyers are the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. The first golf major of the year was this weekend. So we'll get into all that and more right now. Joining us on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline, the one and only Pete. Thompson. How you doing, Pete? I'm doing well, Josh. Thanks for having me on early. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, I mean, it's uh, uh, the Sixers crunch their schedule, but uh, we'll see who's actually playing today, right? Right. Well, we want to talk about Flyers with you, Pete, because let's be realistic. Uh, you are one of the biggest Flyer guys that we know. So how does the PT feel about the number one seed Flyers heading into the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs? I mean, I got to tell you, believe it or not, uh, I actually missed a little bit of the first period the other night uh, because I was out watching the county league game, a resumption of the ACBL. Shocking. Um, and uh, by the time I turned the game on, it was 2 nothing, and I couldn't believe it. I mean, you know, I thought the Lightning they'd have some trouble with, and uh, that round robin uh, was unbelievable. I mean, the way that they basically – stuck to their guns, played their game, and the fact that, and I wrote this in my Shore Local column this week, that the fact that they didn't, uh, you know, Giroux wasn't a major, major noticeable factor, Voracek, Konechny, I mean, some of the names that you'd expect to be put in the puck in the net, you had Nate Thompson stepping up. You had, you know, uh, the guy that was the hero was Scott Lawton. Who knew that Scott Lawton was going to be so good? You know, I, I love that stuff. Yeah, I, I do too. It, that, that's a huge thing. Getting the depth scoring. Claude Giroux, Voracek, these guys are off the score sheet, yet they're still finding ways to win. And I think some of that has to do with who they're defending. So when they're out there, you know, maybe Bergeron, Pasternak, and, and, um, Brad Marchand are out there. So maybe they're sticking more towards the defensive side to make sure those type of players don't score, which allows other players to step up and, and be able to pr- produce offensively. But PT, this is just amazing. Don't you watch these games and smile the whole time? It doesn't feel real. It's almost as if we are dreaming. Well, it's something I've waited for for a long, long time. I mean, uh, you know, for the, the to actually have some confidence in your team going into these marquee matchups as opposed to the other way around. And listen, don't, uh, you know, overlook the Canadians. I mean, uh, everybody's out there saying, well, they were the 12th seed. I don't care what seed they are. You, you know as well as anybody, Hunter, that when you get to this point in the ball game, an eight seed can beat a one seed or whatever. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. And, and then the one factor that everybody likes to keep pointing out to was, boy, the Flyers were so hot at home. Well, they're not at home. Nobody's at home. It's that neutral thing, but that may actually benefit some of the young guys. I mean, you know, Nick Aubey Kubel the other night. Are you kidding me? The guy, Phil Myers, sniping the top corner. Connor Bonneman getting on the score sheet. I mean, this is ridiculous. Well, now that you said that, now I got to play what my guest on game night said last night, Pete, because I had Sirius XM NHL host. Scott Laughlin, he covers the whole NHL, and this is what he said about the Canadians-Flyers matchup. The great thing about the round robin was the fact that the guys that drive the ship now, guys like Konechny and Couturier, uh, didn't need to necessarily carry the freight. 
uh, in that round robin. All that depth scoring led by Scott Lawton really kind of came to the fore. And I think that's the best news of all for the Flyers right now, that they could win the top seed and yet still have their star players perhaps not be at peak performance. They're going to be at peak performance against a Montreal team that I think is quite frankly in over their heads here in this best of seven series. Pete, thoughts? Wow, it's almost like you and I scripted out which way this was going to go. I mean, look, let's put it this way. You know, another storyline is the goaltenders and Carey Price is still Carey Price. He can steal a game or two, but so can Carter Hart. You know, I mean, Carter Hart has played out of his mind, you know, and uh, and doesn't look phased and doesn't look like the, the stage is too big. And, you know, he absolutely could steal a game right back for the Flyers. So uh, I, I absolutely feel good about the Flyers going into this. I like the fact that, again, the secondary liner guys have stepped up. Even, you know, an AV is pushing all the right buttons. You can't say enough about, and it's not just AV. Like in the past, when you get pissed at the coach, you'd be like, I can't believe Hextall did that, or I can't believe Baruby did that, or I can't, you know, pick a coach that you were pissed off at. In this case, you understand that there's head coaches up and down the bench. It isn't just uh, AV. It's a uh, Michelle Terry and, you know, with, by the way, some snazzy suits too. Gil would comment about how nice the suits were. So they looked outstanding. I mean, you got multiple head coaches there working, uh, you know, Mike Yo included too. Uh, you know, you got three head coaches on the bench creating this super brain of energy to then send out the players to go and do their best. I mean, it's just all, things are firing on all cylinders. That's a great point. Yeah. The coaching behind the bench, it isn't just AV. They do have a lot of head coaching experience with him. And that's definitely one of the reasons why I think they're so successful. And one thing though, that does concern me just a little bit is the power play. Are you concerned with the power play? Because you're not going to get a lot of opportunities to score on Carey price, but some of those opportunities will come. Those limited opportunities will come on the power play. Does it scare you that it seems like they can't find a way to score there right now? Hundred uh, percent. There, and I hate the key. I just wrote the column yesterday for Shore Local. It'll be out in the Wawa's and Dunkin' Donuts on Thursday. But I said my one concern is their power play. They went zero for eleven during the round robin play on the man advantage. Now, of course, uh, Montreal went zero for twelve, and they advanced too. So I mean, y- you could say, well, the stat does. You know, yes. At some point, when you get awarded the man advantage, you. You have to put the puck in the net. So you have to think that special teams is going to play a factor. I really like the Flyers' penalty kill. I was scared bleepless when Michael Roffel went down because I thought he was an underrated player, especially on the power on the penalty kill. And I thought that, you know, he was that kind of guy that even though he never – yes, he did light up the score sheet in the game that he got hurt, but more often than not, Michael Roffel's influence on the game is something that you can't see in a box score. You're not going to see on a score sheet per se. But, hey, you know, all the right buttons. Joel Farabee stepped in and contributed. They even put Ghost in the other day, and he played well. I mean, all the things are clicking. Pete Thompson joining us here on the Boardwalk on the hotline for a Tuesday with Thompson. Just a little earlier than usual here on 97.3 ESPN. Uh, Pete, are you ready to, you know, believe that this team is going to make a Stanley Cup run, or are you still a little, you know, tentative, maybe a little bit, you know, wait and see, or are you all in? I'm with my man, Broad Street Bowl. Sam Carcitti put a column out the other day. He said, Flyers are Philadelphia's best hope to bring home a championship. Hell yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, I absolutely agree with that. The Sixers have injuries up and down the up and down the wazoo. The Phillies bullpen is terrible. We don't know if the Eagles are going to play. And if they are, there are not going to be any fans. I mean, let's go Flyers! Clap, 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 clap. I'm all on board. I love it, PT. I'm right there with you. I I think that this team has turned the corner. They went from good to wow. This team can actually compete. There's a couple of teams out there that are playing good as well. I think Colorado is playing phenomenal. There's some squads out there, but the fact that I know that they can compete with anybody right now is what gets my juices flowing. But you mentioned the Phillies bullpen, and I actually got your email last night. You sent me the box score, and I was like, oh, PT, how about that? Sending me some information to utilize on the 97.3 ESPN's website for my post-game reactions. But Happy to help. The, happy to help. Absolutely. <laughs> The, the bullpen, though. I need to hear your Brutal. thoughts on the bullpen and Nick Pavetta specifically last night. I mean, have they made a move yet? Because this guy doesn't deserve to be in a major league uniform right now. A third of an inning, six hits, six runs. All of them earned, gave up the home run. 29 pitches, 19 of them for strikes. You think, oh, that's not a bad ratio. Yeah, strikes. That means they're down the plate so they can drill them. I mean, this guy is awful. And I... Uh, actually, you know, it's funny. When I was on the show on a regular basis, Gil would always tell like, put up questions, PT, so you get responses, and then we'll read them off on the show. So last night, you know, knowing that I was going to be on for a Tuesday with Thompson, I put up the fact that my girlfriend's son, Michael, and I were having a huge argument about Girardi lifting Aaron Nola last night. I had a problem with it, and, and I didn't like it. I mean, the guy had never pitched a complete game. The guy had never, Aaron Nola, thrown a pitch. According to the stats, he's never thrown a pitch in the ninth inning of a game. It's 10 to 1 or 13 to 1. Give him a GD chance. Let him go out there. If he gives up a hit or two, then you pull him. But to bring in Nick Pavetta just to say he needs work, yeah, he needs work, all right. In Lehigh Valley, he stinks. <laughs> he absolutely stinks. It's brutal. I mean, the only saving grace that I could say when I say the words Phillies bullpen is that there's a couple guys that may be coming back. David Robertson is throwing down in Clearwater, so is Ranger Suarez. Who would have thought I'd miss the Ford Ranger? I mean, who would have thought I'd miss Ranger Suarez? I mean, come on. These guys are supposed to be our saviors because who's there right now? Sucks. <laughs> I saw Connor Brogdon, actually, is another name, and he was intriguing before the season started. But I want to respond on your Joe Girardi comment. I, I do think it was the right move. I think that you're up 13-1. to 1, You're going into the ninth. I understand the accolade of a complete game is solid, and it's something that you would want Aaron Nola to do. But when you're up 13-1 to 1 and you're at essentially 90 pitches, the right move there is to put someone in the bullpen and to get the three outs. I mean, I just think it is the standard classic move to do in that scenario. You're up 12 runs. That person you put in the bullpen should be able to do it. I just feel like the fascination with the complete game accolade is, I don't know, he's never thrown the, one. The thought of he's the move. never thrown one. He'd never even thrown a pitch in the ninth inning before. And if you looked on the numbers and you looked at how many pitches, he, he averaged like nine, maybe ten pitches an inning. So you're saying to me that t nine more pitches out of Aaron Noel was going to blow his arm out? No, it's not going to. It's not going to blow his arm out, but it's just the right move to do. It's the standard move to do. You're up twelve runs. You pull. It's just what you do. 
unless you're me, and I wouldn't have done it. But that's the beautiful thing of the debate, you know. <laughs> uh, we'll we'll see what Zach Wheeler does tonight. I mean, you know, that now you get the chance to see back-to-back legitimate pitchers, you know, at least at the start of the thing. And then, of course, today's only Tuesday, but then by Friday I'm going to be pissed off again if we put Vinny Velasquez in instead of the kid. I, I Put Spencer Howard out there again. Give him another chance. Throw Vinny Velo in the bullpen. We've always said that he is bullpen stuff. Good. Go out there. You're not a starter. You're not a starter. Go to the bullpen. Pete, before we let you go, I got to ask you about the first major of the golf calendar due to COVID. Everything got swapped around, moved around, and the PGA Championship was this weekend. I don't know if you saw, but the ESPN ratings and viewership on their regular television and then digital on the ESPN Plus broke every golf record on ESPN. So, Pete, people were watching the PGA Championship this weekend. In, including me. Oh, I saw it. In fact, I was watching it. It was coming down the stretch. You know, the time change helped, too. I mean, it was weird to still be watching at 7 o'clock at night when normally on the East Coast when the golf tournament would be over by then, but that was only 4 o'clock out there, so it was just heating up. I mean, the drama, they had a seven-way tie at one point. It was very weird. I'm such a golf geek that I watched Tiger and Phil both play in basically morning coverage, which was noon out here, and, and watch them, you know, limp to not nowhere. They had no chance of winning. So how weird was that to see Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson in the meaningless coverage? But kudos to ESPN. I mean, uh, look, they got record ratings because they did it right. They showed something like 1.6 shots per minute or something. I mean, it was like – it was like, yeah, we're going to 10, we're going to 11, we're going to 5, we're going to 7. I mean, they were just bouncing around, shot, 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 and I can't get enough of it. I, I see some people that are bitching because they have to pay for ESPN+. Plus. Who cares? That's how it works in this world. You don't get anything for free barely ever anymore. So suck it up. You want the free stuff? Then watch CBS when they come on with their coverage. But if you want to watch every shot, you want to be hooked in like I was, then pay the stupid money. I mean, Colin Morikawa hit the shot of his life. It was unbelievable for him to drive that green. Uh, and they set it up. I mean, Nick Faldo beforehand said, like, you know, this this is kind of like Memorial. He's going to be able to bend the ball. And he did exactly what they said and got it to seven feet. And I was going bananas. I tweeted about it at that point. I was seeing, like, a barrage of tweets about the Sixers. And I was like, oh, God, maybe I should switch over to the Sixers. And I went to a commercial. The, the golf went to a commercial. I switched to the Sixers. It was the middle of the third quarter. I said, to hell with them. I'm going back to the PGA. Well, PT. I didn't watch one second of golf. I'm not going to lie to you. But I do have some positive news for you. I got positive news for you. Nick Pavetta has been optioned to Lehigh Valley. Absolutely. Hurrah, hurrah. (laughs) We'll leave you with the positive. Because we were calling for it. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Pete Thompson, Tuesday with Thompson here. Every Tuesday, usually at 5.30, but today at 2.30 here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Pete, appreciate you joining us for a conversation. It was fun, boys. Uh, Bring it on home. Josh Eddick filling in for Mike Gill here on 97.3 ESPN. Our conversation with Pete Thompson being brought to you by SHM Financial. Are you quickly approaching or are you in retirement? Don't get overwhelmed. Contact SHM Financial. Give them a call at 800-MONEY-SHM or visit them online at shmfinancial.com. Nick Pavetta got option the AAA, as Hunter just mentioned. But what else do the Phillies do? Find out next. 
Josh and Nick for Mike Gill on the Sports Bash along with Hunter Brody, 97.3 ESPN. So, Broads, this news broke about the Phillies. We also got other breaking news as well. We'll get to that momentarily. But uh, I just want to run down for the audience out there the Cliff Notes version. So, Nick Pavetta has been optioned. The Phillies have Connor Brogdon and Blake Parker joining the bullpen. Uh, Nick Williams also a bit has been DFA'd along with Trevor Kelly. Broge, your thoughts? Well, I think it needed to happen, right? They needed to make some sort of statement. And I was intrigued by Connor Brogdon. I'm not going to go out there on a limb and say this guy's going to shut down everybody and be this weapon that they absolutely need out of the bullpen. But you know Trevor Williams doesn't work. You know Nick Pavetta doesn't work. You know some of these pitchers don't work. So I think it is absolutely, absolutely worth a shot, without a doubt. And Blake Parker... He was here last year for a bit. He's he's another guy where I'm not going to claim he's going to shut down everything. But at this point, you know what you had wasn't working. So it would be silly to just continue that without making some sort of change. I'm glad they made a change. I just I'm curious to see if this is the right change. Because last time I checked, I don't think Nick Williams played almost at all. So what's the point of DFAing him unless you just want to make sure you have more arms in the bullpen. Is that really the theory? Yeah, I mean, I don't think the Nick Williams thing is much of what matters. More, It's more about getting rid of some of these pitchers and calling some new guys up. The thing is, I don't think that there's even anything you can really do outside of the organization. Teams aren't going to be making these obnoxious trades because everyone's sort of involved. Teams aren't going to be doing that kind of stuff because the playoffs are expanded. So with that being said, your only fix is – calling up new guys or people stepping the hell up. You don't really have many chances to make different moves outside of your organization. I got some Sixers breaking news for you. Oh, hit me. Tobias Harris and Al Horford are both out tonight versus the Suns. And Josh Richardson is as well, correct? I think Richardson was still questionable. Apparently they're listing Tobias Harris with a right ankle soreness and Al Horford with left knee soreness. So essentially it's let's just rest. Yeah, Josh Richardson also out. So there you go. So uh, Philly's making some moves. Sixers going to be playing basically Norvell Pell tonight. Uh, Something that you guys mentioned on the Process podcast might as well have happened. Oh, and by the way, for those who are wondering, Big Ten is canceling the fall football season, and the ACC is saying they're still playing as planned. I mean, what a mess, bros. What are you going to do, Josh? What are you going to do? I am I think I'm just going to stick with the pro sports until the end of the 2020 season, because that's all I can count on at this point. <laughs> we might not even get college hoops. Well, you know what? College hoops got a lot more time to figure it out, you know? That's true. We got to talk more Phillies. Frank Close coming up next. Phillies mailbag. The moves have been made. What does Frank have to say? We'll get to all that more coming up next here on 97.3 ESPN. Josh Hennig filling in for Mike Hill along with Hunter Brody. Hill to 4.30. It's Sixers basketball later today on 97.3 ESPN with the voice of the 76. 76-